Bowing your heads, please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for the greater glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you live in a world where the innocent and guileless are killed and wounded by the hatred-filled plots of others, you might be prudent from time to time to keep your doors locked or to live with heightened security so that in going to your school you pass through a gate that only those with the right badges may come. Most of us can understand why the doors were locked on that first evening because we live part of our lives behind locked doors. So when John's Gospel says on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jewish leaders, it no longer sounds shocking to us. These were men and women who were facing the first day of the week what we think of as Easter evening with heavy burdens. And maybe you're facing some heavy burdens this morning as you enter into this church. Mary of Nazareth, some of you would want to say the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus was there. She was grieving the death of her son. She had watched him on Saturday, Friday afternoon die a wretched death upon a cross in shame. She had watched as he took his last breath. Some of you can imagine how she felt because you have lost someone you love. And the waves of grief rolled over you and took you down like a child in the surf, rolled around in the sandy, rocky bottom, not knowing if you would get up in time to have a, a breath, only to rise above the surface of the waves and have another wave come and take you down again. Grief is like that. The Bible says, grief lasteth the night, but joy cometh in the morning. But joy did not come for Mary that morning. I understand, for I have buried loved ones. Peter was there, 
dogged by his failure. Thursday after the Last Supper, as Jesus was walking with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, he said that they will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Peter said, Lord, though they all forsake you, I will never forsake you. I will die for you. And Jesus said, Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And before the cock crows for the second time this morning, you will deny me three times. I understand what it's like to fail towards those you love the most and to fail like Peter in his chosen vocation of profession. For I have lived with my failures as a bishop and as a priest and worse yet as a husband the father, the grandfather. And in my own failures to live a life worthy of my profession of faith as a Christian. And if it's not my failures that I have lived with over the years that I've had to learn to cope, it is the failures of those with whom I lived as a parish priest the marriages I was unable to save, the problems in a parishioner's life I hadn't noticed soon enough. And as a bishop, the failure of priests under my charge to fulfill their duties appropriately. So I can get into the skin of St. Peter, for I've been there myself. John was there. He was feeling the weight of a new responsibility. On Friday afternoon, there at the cross, a ringside seat right next to the mother of Jesus. And he heard the words as Jesus looked down at him, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And suddenly a new responsibility came into his life. Not one he had chosen, but one that had been chosen for him. I know what it's like not to get the, the responsibilities and burdens you would choose and get the ones that are chosen for you. I too have felt the weight of responsibility. Know how burdensome at times it can be, and some of you have been there yourselves. Some of you have known the responsibility of caring for an elderly parent. a struggling child, a child who has wandered from the way 
that you had hoped that they would go. A child you love but cannot reach. You reach for and cannot grab. You grab for and they run the further. And some of you have known the responsibility of caring for a grandchild because your son or daughter could not care adequately for him or her. And some of you know the pressure of having to provide for those under your care as an owner of a business. And you wonder if you can make the payments that need to be made, the decisions that will keep the company ahead. Oh, you know the weight of responsibility. You feel the weight of the charge. You know what John may have felt. And Mary Magdalene was there. She had an awkward situation. She was one of the first people that ever saw the risen Lord. He had given her a, a commission, a charge. Go and tell my disciples that I am going to my father and their father to my God and their God, go and tell them I am risen and I will meet them. But when she got to them and told them the good news, they could not believe, they did not believe. And some of you live with people who do not believe. The one who is closest to you in all the world your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you cannot share with them. Or when you try to share with them, they scoff. They do not believe. They do not want to hear. You pray, and they do not care. Perhaps even there might be some young people here today being confirmed who have come to believe. But you live in a family that doesn't. And it's a difficult road to walk. To have something you believe in and you cannot share. Lord, give me the wisdom you say. Help me to know what to say, when to share it, and when to be quiet. There were others that were there, Andrew and James and Matthew, men without leader, without jobs, without an immediate livelihood, facing an apprehensive and most uncertain future. Perhaps it was only their need for one another that kept them from scattering like frightened quail across the hills of Judah and the villages of Galilee. They were all there in the same room, just as all of us are here today, in the same room. And the Bible says, And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Shalom Alachim. Peace be with you. Shalom Alachim. Peace be with you. Their fears quieted, their minds stilled. All shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit.
And he showed them his hands and his feet. It's what theologians call the continuity and the discontinuity of the resurrection. You say, Bishop, what do you mean, the continuity and the discontinuity? Well, when they last saw the body of Jesus, there were nail prints in the hands and nail prints in the feet. And they just don't go away with the resurrection. There are certain things that will remain on the far side of the grave when you are resurrected because of your faith. Those whom you have loved and have passed through the curtain that separates this life from the life that is to come. There will be things about your loved one that you will see and recognize that will remain. But they won't look like the last time you saw them. They will have been transformed and glorious. But the wounds of Jesus are still there because he presents them to the Father. Jesus presents to the Father the hands pierced and the side wounded and the feet wounded. He presents them as a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. And he presents them to the disciples as well. As that great Charles Wesley hymns puts it, those dear tokens of his passion still his dazzling body bears. Cause of endless exultation to his ransomed worshipers. With what rapture, with what rapture gaze we on those glorious scars. You know, John Stott, that great Anglican preacher, said he could not ever believe in God if it were not for the cross. How could he, in a world of suffering and pain, believe in a God that did not feel its touch? James Shillico, the poet of the battlefields of World War I, described it well in his poem, Jesus of the Scars. If we have never sought thee, we seek thee now. Thine eyes burn through the dark, our only stars. We must have sight of thorn marks on thy brow. We must have thee, O Jesus of the scars. The other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode. But thou didst stumble to a thought throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. No other God in any religion presents wounds for us to see and scars upon the body that he bore. No other God has scars and wounds 
but thou alone. But in showing them his wounds, he is not glorifying suffering, but manifesting its transformation. It is not his victimhood he presents them with, but his victory. So that our sin and suffering draws us to the one who suffered for us, and God's love and peace broke through and breaks through still to heal and sustain and transform and to resurrect. And so he still speaks the words, Shalom Alakim, my peace be with you. But one was not there. One was not there. He's my favorite person in this narrative because I've known him in every church I've served. You see, Thomas is one of those people who limits reality to what is tangible and visible. They insist that even God must be tangible, not just that Thomas wants proof. He wants evidence. He wants the experience. He wants to know. He doesn't want to have to believe. He wants proof. So when the disciples tell to him, we have seen the Lord, he says, unless I put my finger in the nail print in his hands and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. The reason why I like him so much is because he's been in every parish I served as a parish priest. And what impresses me about the Thomases that I'm talking about is they continue to come to church every Sunday. Most of the 8 o'clock service, I understand. <laughs> it's shorter. You're in and out. You can get to the golf course. You can get out on the boat. And you don't have to mess around with the music. But they're there. What keeps them coming? They are like Thomas. They are loyal. He's there eight days later. He's still suffering with these wild, crazy, charismatic believers that have seen Jesus. I love this person. I've spent my ministry trying to reach this person. And I'm trying to reach you now. You see, Thomas is there like an actor on stage, the footlights so bright, the spotlight so glaring, he cannot see the audience before whom he has to perform. But all the while they're watching and listening. And all the while Jesus is watching and listening. And what does undo Thomas at the end is not, I think, that he sees Jesus. It's that Jesus quotes his words back to him. Put your fingers in the nail print in my hands. Put your hand in my side. Do not be doubting, but believe. You know, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, not seeing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And when Christ speaks these words, he hears the voice of the good shepherd who knows his sheep and his sheep know him. He calls him by name. They listen to his voice and they follow him and no one shall snatch them out of the nail-printed hands of Christ. 
peace be with you. Dear Thomas in the pew, blessed are those who are unhappy with their doubt. There are certain circumstances in our lives that are discouraging and painful and feelings that are deep remain with us and questions go unanswered and fears remain and anxiety and responsibilities and failures and sins and struggles are constantly with us. And we wonder where he is. The disciples had forgotten. They had seen his miracles. He had healed the bodies of the sick. He had multiplied the loaves of bread. He had calmed the wind and lake waters. And when he showed up and said, Peace be with you, he calmed their hearts. Because he was still Lord. He was betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, arrested and bound by the soldiers, but he was still Lord. Evil men pushed him from trial to trial, eight of them during that night, but he was still Lord. His flesh was scourged with a flagium, leather straps, embedded nails, embedded rocks, stone to a sh grilled to a, a sharpened edge, dragged over his body till ligament and blood and bone was exposed, but he was still Lord. He was spit upon, stripped, mocked, crowned with thorns, dressed like a clown in a purple robe, but he was still Lord. He was brought by Pilate before the crowds. Behold the man, the governor said, and they said, crucify him, crucified, crucify him, but he was still Lord. He was led out carrying the crossbeam through the streets of Jerusalem stumbled and fell, too weak to carry the beam any further. It was placed on another man's shoulders, but he was still Lord. His hands were hammered with spikes into the crossbeam. His feet and the bones of his feet were split with nails, but he was still Lord. He was naked and forsaken, and the tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. When he cried, I thirst, and they gave him vinegar to drink, but he was still Lord. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He cried out in his dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he was still Lord. Surely he has borne our griefs and earned and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was still Lord. He was made a curse and hung on a tree for sinners like you and me, but he was still Lord. He was taken down from the cross and placed in another man's tomb, but he was still Lord. And on the third day, he got up with the grave clothes no longer upon him and with a body that cast shadows in the sunlight but could go through walls because he was still Lord.
that he can come today into your life and speak to your failures and your grief and your responsibilities and your lack of wisdom and he can say still to you today Shalom Alakim my peace be with you because he is still Lord we must have you today O Jesus of the scars for you are still Lord Amen